Hi, Reza. Actually, is Reza pronounced perfectly? So after all these years, you know, this is the right question. Uh, uh, to be honest, there is no right or wrong. It's a multicultural name. Uh, it is used across uh, the Arab world, the Persian world, and South Asia, and now the United States. So you can pretty much pick whatever pronunciation you want. Uh, I myself do not pronounce it correctly. Uh, so I pronounce my, myself Reza, Reza, which mm -hmm. is uh, not necessarily accurate. So if you went and asked a person of a more uh, Arab background, hey, is that the correct pronunciation? They would tell you no. Okay. <laughs> so Reza, I think this is how I called you uh, usually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, this is fine. Perfect. So n now uh, the um, the second most important question is, uh, what was your first computer? Uh, my first computer was uh, was actually a Mac. Uh, now, what version of a Mac? I cannot possibly tell you. It was a really small thing. I think it has a six-inch screen, one end or the other. It was in uh, in color, mm -hmm. so it, it did display a, a desktop. Uh, but in most of the times, I wasn't in a desktop. I was most of the time using the command line. I think it was Apple IIe, but don't quote me on it. It's a very early version, one of the very earliest versions of a PC effectively is what I had. How old were you and how you got it? I was, you know, it's so long now, I don't really remember to be honest with you. It must have been uh, something like 16 or 17. Oh, okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, my original uh, interest was economics. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was an sort of a very advanced placement course uh, in economics. And part of that advanced, advanced placement uh, thing, a lot of people were interested at this point in time in computing. Because uh, in, in the end, uh, economics is actually a lot of number crunching. So computers have a real usage, a real mission critical usage in, in uh, economics. Mm -hmm. There was a separate wing of this uh, academy uh, uh, that was specifically computer club at that point in time. So we literally had uh, five machines and courtesy of the British government, actually. So this is in the uh, British Embassy School. All of this was happening in the British Embassy School. Uh, and then this was a courtesy of the British government to say, yes, we will send uh, five computers, you know, for these people, for these students to try out outside of Great Britain. And that's how I actually got into computers in the first place. So you grew up in Great Britain? No, no, no. This is South Asia. Oh, okay, because they were interesting. I think yeah, you are but from it's Boston. But it's a British embassy school. Oh, okay. Yes. So you were very good at Excel back then, right? Excel? Did we even have Excel? I don't think we had Excel on the Mac. What did we have? We had Fox Pro. Fox Pro, okay. I think, I think was was a spreadsheet program mm -hmm. on, the, on the Mac at the time. And you got the machine and you were immediately interested in, in numbers or more games? Yes, primarily. So then um, in the computer club, there's a number of people that were had many different interests. Uh, you know, me going into it, my primary interest was uh, data analysis using mm -hmm. something like FoxPro. And FoxPro, in fact, had a built-in programming language mm -hmm. uh, that allowed you to write more or less macros, right? So you would do, you'd be able to do analysis inside of this spreadsheet program. but. Ultimately, what happened was uh, there was other people that were doing various things, like, for example, game development. Uh, but uh, in order to get into game, de game development, what you actually, most people start with is writing fractal algorithms. I don't know if you know what those are. Uh, they're rather old-fashioned. So there's, there's essentially bitmap uh, programs on the screen mm -hmm. that uh, you write algorithms to say, hey, this particular dot will appear in this coordinate in the, on the screen, and it, it will appear in this color. So you can program these type of very complicated fractal equations and ultimately it looks like interesting screen designs. If you're interested, I think there's still some fractal-based uh, uh, screensavers out there. Uh, and in fact, some of the really old machines may use fractal programs. As interesting. This is Mandelbrot, right? This Mandel Mandelbrot. This is like the fractal, right? So we generate, yeah. yeah. But I didn't knew that it's actually, I think um, most of the things happened with sprites. Right. So uh, back then it was really literally you would write a very complicated mathematical algorithm that would determine where a dot would be placed on, on screen and what, which coordinate and which color it would represent. And literally it was a complex, complex mathematical formulas to determine that. Interesting. You know, for so, a time loop, you know, for uh, let's say 10 seconds, this is where all of your dot 
uh, you know, your placements and dots in the screen would look like. That's literally what this factor program was. Asteroids, I think, were made this way, right? So, so like yes. a scale, uh, so like a vectors. Yeah. But I think what it, what it, what I'm saying here is no, the asteroids was all about that. So. Yep, I, I assume it's probably very similar to a fractals algorithm. Yes. And you were into programming back then, or were you still number crunching? No, no. Uh, very quickly, I actually wound up being on the moving to the other side of the equation. So I did number crunching for some, you know, sort of my coursework, but. Uh, Really, for fun, I was uh, literally doing this as a fractal design for some okay. time. So you had also some fun, so you're not always serious, right? Uh, right. <laughs> so if I meet yeah. you, I always you know, try to, to, to bring you to laughing, but it's really hard. You know, you're, you're <laughs> a very, very serious man. So, uh, lots of jokes, but you are always, you know, like, uh, you're always, you know, on point. So, okay. One <laughs> time I will manage to do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> perhaps, yes. <laughs> I'm trying to, uh, you know, improve my sense of humor as well. Uh, perhaps I would fit in very well in... Germany, you guys also do not have much of a sense of humor. Yeah, we are, uh, we are, no, they are better than Mr. Bean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, so, okay, so uh, you spent some time in the computer club, and then you st you started to g gaming or programming games? No, so I started uh, fractal programs for some time. Uh, primarily, I was using computers for my coursework, very advanced coursework in economics. And you never played? Uh, you had to play some games, right? Yeah, to be honest, never had the time. You know, I was busy doing so many things. I was uh, also president of the debate club and doing some event. President of the debate club? What, what is that? So this this seems like, you know, uh, almost like I didn't want to say a company, not Microsoft, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, a, what a president of debate club has to do? primarily get the thing running. So, uh, you know, uh, it's not so much about being good in debate, it's actually uh, organizational skills. Uh, okay. So organizing events, organizing the people that would actually be doing the debates, uh, organizing mentoring sessions. And, and what the debates were about? It was like... I mean, really anything. The, the debate uh, programs in school are primarily a little bit more academic. So you, literally we would take uh, you know, debates that you would find in uh, books from ancient <coughs> Greek philosophers like Socrates, okay. and uh, you know you could debate that, those points. Interesting. So I never had such a such German school. This is why I'm asking, because it sounds interesting, debate club. Uh, um, so I will uh, tomorrow use it in meeting, you know, I will, I will call them, we are a debate club. Let's see what happens, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was, you know, I just had so many different things going on. Yeah, I didn't really have much time to do things for pure, purely leisure other than writing some fractal programs here and there. So, so, so you also know the, the most joy you ever had with computer was writing, you know, fractal programs as a teenager, right? Yeah. And also I was uh, playing uh, guitar at the moment. At the time, also a little bit later, I was I had a, a band for about two years, so yeah, it's, I didn't have much time. But not not do, classic uh, guitar, hopefully, right? So something more. No electric guitar. Yeah. Ah, well, oh, some, I suspected you would tell me you had no, no, you know, no time for electric guitars, and you only played, you know, classic guitar. But uh, okay, <laughs> so now the question: What do you played? So like, you know, a rhythm guitar or what? And rhythm who, guitar. Okay, yeah. and who was your idol? Uh, at the time, we were covering Sepultura and Sepultura, some Megadeth, and some early Metallica. Wow. Okay, Sepultura is unusual. It's a Brazilian band, right? Brazilian group metal band, yes. With uh, the first CDS roots, I think, right? I think they were pretty much always uh, based out of uh, Sao Paulo. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah, yeah but, the, but the name of the album was Roots. Oh, Roots was uh, later. Yes. Later, uh, really? Roots, I believe, was in 1994 or 1995. So earliest was uh, Beneath the Remains. Okay. Uh, and then uh, uh, that is may have, may have been the very, very uh, first album. Roots is much later. And then uh, there was Chaos AD before that. Chaos AD. Chaos AD, I believe, is in 1992, yes. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, and you were able to play that? Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow. Well. So you had to practice a lot, right? I, I mean, yes. This is why I told you I didn't have time. Yeah, okay, it. this is reasonable. I think you didn't have time, you know, because of the debate club, but this makes more sense. Okay, this this is what I understand. Okay, cool. So uh, so you were actually a heavy metal player, right? So Megadeth and Sepultura and Metallica. Uh-huh. Um, you can still play guitar right now? No. <laughs> Nothing? No, no. I, I'm, I now have, do not have time uh, for other reasons, right? Between <laughs> blogging and Vakarthi and microprofile and... 
But you can my still day play. job, which is more than 40 hours, and then I have a family. It's like but I, you could still I, play, right? So if you get a guitar, you could play something. Nothing. I can play, but I mean, to be honest, I have not played anything serious for almost 15 years. Yeah, but still, uh, I think after one day of practice, you could play something, right? Some, something simple. Possibly. This possibly. would be interesting. But, uh, Next time yeah, I'll but, ask uh, something, something like uh, rhythm guitar for uh, playing Metallica or Megadeth or any of the heavy metal genres is not so simple. I would have to get myself acclimated to speed and accuracy. Yeah, sure. But so, you know, some, some accords and some simple stuff you could play maybe. You know, some, okay, this is what I wanted to, 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 to know. Whether you know, after 15 years of not practicing, you would still be able to play. It would be an interesting experiment. Yes, but it would be very basic. Uh, like I say, for something like groove metal and thrash metal and heavy metal, most people don't realize it, but uh, it's not so much about technique. It's actually speed and accuracy, and that uh, takes a lot of practice to get right. Yes. You can't just pick it up and begin to do it. It's simply it's like saying, oh, I know how to ride a bike. I can ride, I can, uh, you know, mountain bike uh, uh, up the Alps right away. <laughs> yeah, this is harder. Yeah. Uh, okay. Interesting. So, how long you played guitar? Two years, you said. Two and a half years. Not very long. Yeah, but uh, before you started to play, you had to practice, or or was it the two and a half years? You after two and a half years, you were able to play make uh, uh, sepultura. Uh, so purely practice was probably about six months. Uh, wow. But we had you. We practiced together as a band. Okay. Um, so I would say we played decent after about year year and a half. Yeah, and then it's a crazy out, fast. Out of, I mean, I, I, I would, I would, I would, I would, I think estimate that you will need far more time, you know, to practice. So it's interesting that after one year you were able to play it. One and a half, counting, you know, just a regular. Everybody starts on a, on a regular acoustic guitar, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, electric guitar you cannot pick up right away. Okay, you cool. You need to learn the chords. You need to mostly learn the chords without, uh, because what happens is a guitar is a guitar, right? So you, you're at the end of the day, even when you're playing a. Uh, electric guitar, you're really playing an acoustic guitar, but there's another skill set altogether when you add uh, electric in the mix, because electric, what is really happening is you are altering, significantly altering the sound that uh, an acoustic guitar would produce. So it's yet another level of skill, yes. But it's possible. You dedicate yourself, uh, I think, you know, it, it is possible to get within playing, covering, not play, you know, not original music, but covering something like Megadeth and Metallica and Sepulchre within about two years, yes. Okay, cool. Okay, so um, <clears throat> after three years, I think you started to, 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 to program, because why you why you stopped playing guitar and what happened, you know, with your computer stuff? So uh, What happened was I graduated high school, I decided uh, to come to the United States, and, uh, you know, being in a dorm room was just not very conducive, conducive to playing guitar, and also I had very heavy course load. Uh, and so on. So yeah, I uh, what continued was economics and uh, computer science. Oh, you st you studied both. Mm -hmm. Yes. This is hard, right? I, I actually have I actually have a major in uh, computer science and economics, and I also have a minor in mathematics. And uh, for some period of time, I actually considered a minor in philosophy as well. So I have many interests. I had I have trouble <laughs> focusing my interests in my early years. Yeah, but this is crazy. So this is why I had no time. I mean. And you studied how long? Four years? Four years, yeah. Typical. Well, this was like, you know, full-time, right? I mean, full -time. yeah. Yeah. And it was fun? Or you regret, you know, the decision to study multiple things at once? No, no, no. Um, I would say, you know, my entire uh, lifespan, college was the most, uh, probably the easiest going and the most rewarding part of it. Uh, you know, so, yeah, definitely I don't have many regrets. Okay. About that, now I do have some regrets of whether I should have moved to the UK or the United States, uh, you know, ultimately, because once you do that, you're kind of set in your trajectory, and mm -hmm. that's how I'm a US citizen today. Sometimes I question whether that was really the right decision for me or not. Okay, so and you never know, really. So because True. people in UK will ask the same question, or no? <laughs> Perhaps. So, yeah, 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 I would say this is... Uh, okay, but... Um, how much time you dedicated during your study, you know, for computers? So you you were more just yeah, you were just into programming, or more the other stuff was. What was the interest, you know, your interest? Uh, the interest in the initial years, the interest was uh, using computing as a uh, way of advancing economics. In later years, I just by the, my third year, I simply just finished my economics major just because I wanted to, but it was clear by then that I was, uh, in, in terms of my career, I was moving more in the 
computer science direction, yes. Cool. And which programming oh, languages did you use back then during your study? Java. Uh, no, no, not Java the whole time. Java the last three years because, uh, you know, my university was one of the ones that received funding from Sun. Huh. Uh, and Sun gave us uh, many of the solar, all of our, all of our machines in the computer science department. Mm-hmm. I think that was this is about forty or perhaps something along those lines. Computers they were all Solaris machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, run, sorry, all Spark machines running Solaris. Uh, and yeah, Java was a programming language. So which Java was it? JDK one O, I guess, right? <laughs> something like that. Yes. Uh, obviously, from uh, at the very beginning, yes. You remember uh, the ID? Was it Sun, Sun Java Studio workshop? You know, I didn't pick up an ID until like maybe my fourth year. Originally, it was simply Pico and ah. VI mm-hmm. and Emacs to do development and simply Java C. And mm-hmm. uh, later on, you know, simply using Maven as a command line. I think in the end, Visual Cafe. Okay. Uh, it, it, at that time, it was not part of Sun. Yeah. It was a separate company. Visual Semantic. Cafe. Semantic yeah. Visual Cafe. I use it a lot. It looks, it, it's a nice look and feel with, you know, there's a yellow with lots of coffee, you know, logos. So I really liked to use Visual. And what Visual Cafe had back then was the possibility to create a native app from Java, almost mm-hmm. like, you know, Graal VM yeah, right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I also had a nice swing and AWT with mm-hmm. it also. Mm-hmm. And what you did with Java, just for, you know, for number crunching, right? You use Java as. For, for no, no, it was all the coursework was done in Java. Mm-hmm. Um, even I remember in our artificial intelligence courses, we wrote uh, genetic algorithms and uh, neural networks in Java. Uh, and then I was also working part time, actually, uh, you know, for the for the university. And we were developing applets at the time, applets and CGI written in Perl. That was the bleeding edge. They're crazy. Uh, where you studied? Which university was it? It's a very small four year college. It's called Gettysburg College. It's in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Okay, because it sounds, you know, uh, Sun, you know, sponsored all the machines. So it was like so an inter- inter- interesting story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sun sponsored all the machines. Sun actually, um, uh, I remember the one time they actually, Sun sent one of the evangelists to come speak with us about like the future of Java and, you know, what kind, what type of career path we should be pursuing and so on. So Sun back then was very, uh, was very smart about, uh, you know, reaching educational institutions. I think... Uh, it's unfortunate they don't do that anymore. Yeah, Sun cannot do this anymore. But uh, yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah, interesting. Um, okay, so what? Um, so f- so first, uh, you like Java? This is the first question because you no, know, I assume back before Java, you did the fo- had the Fox Pro experience and you and you created some macros. You said so. Uh, what was your opinion and about C. Java? The fractals were written in C. So on oh, uh, C, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Fox Pro is not a serious programming language. It's a uh, Something like Visual Basic, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more procedural than mm-hmm. than it is object oriented. Mm-hmm. It's not really intended for it's not really intended to be a general purpose programming language. So it doesn't actually count. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, honestly, Java was not very dif- very different from C. Uh, you know, it was just mm-hmm. you know you're not doing all those uh, what is that mem something like literally allocating free mem. allocating malloc malloc and uh, malloc malloc yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, we're not really doing those malloc allocations, but other than that, it was frankly very similar uh, to the C uh, syntax. It wasn't. But you were not excited about you know Sun and Solaris and Java somehow, so we were very pragmatic about Java back then, right? Yes, of course. Uh, Back then, I think it was uh, relatively obvious that uh, you know really the only choices were uh, .NET, uh, whatever Microsoft at the time was doing. Uh, to be honest, Visual Basic was not very interesting uh, as a programming language. Uh, they had J++ for some time, but that was just a derivative of Java. So in some ways, Java was the only game in town uh, in, at that period in time, yes. So what happened after your university? So what was your first job? I got a job, basically. I got Ultimately, I got a job with Accenture, ah. uh, which is, a, yeah, at that point in time... <laughs> Being a having job development skills would basically guarantee you a job. Yeah, uh, grow or go, right? Was the slogan of Accenture? I remember. Right. Still is. Yeah. Still is. Okay. And how long? How much time you spend at Accenture? Uh, I don't know how much I should discuss this, but Accenture convinced me of two. So the answer is a very short period of time. Okay. Um, the reason for this is uh, my experience at, at Accenture 
convinced me that uh, consulting is definitely something I wanted to do for some period of time, but also convinced me that I, if I was to do consulting, I should work for myself rather than work for a consulting firm. I think mm -hmm. working for a consulting firm basically takes away from the experience of being a consultant, why you would want to be a consultant in the first place. Mm -hmm. Okay, so after then we became freelancer? Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, almost 10, 12 years. I didn't knew that. I thought you worked for the applications of a company. I forgot the, the nice yeah, one. Yeah, I did. Uh, so I had a stint in Caucho. Caucho, uh, exactly. Uh, then I took a job with Oracle as evangelist. And yeah, so eventually, you know, I sort of transitioned away from being a consultant. And I got what I, I think, you know, basically, the, here's the thing. I did as much consulting as, as it made sense for me. Uh, you know, in terms of gaining real-world experience. And the opportunity opened up because of doing all the blogging and the JCP work and uh, writing the book and everything. It sort of the, it opened up opportunities for me to join essentially people that were driving the technology, like Culture, like Oracle, of course now to some extent, Microsoft. And I think that's the transition point. Yeah, you are too fast. I met you at Java One. And... Uh... I knew you, you because of your EGB in Action book, I think. Mm, possible. Yeah, it was very popular back then. Very popular. And you had long hairs. Yes, I did. I, I had long hair for almost, uh, uh, I want to say 17 or something like 20 years. And then I was but like, you looked like, I remember, you know, like a prodigy character. <laughs> so what I remember. So, and I had a brief chat with you. You didn't knew me and uh, at all because I think it was one of my first Java ones. I, I don't know. I, I remember I met you the first time and it was I asked you know, how the EJB book is going and, and you say, okay, cool, it sells well. And um, why I found you? Because I really liked Caucho back then. So mm. there was the application server resin, which was very fast. And I used a lot of web logic and, uh, and I, you were very vocal about resin, right? Could it be that you wrote, wrote blogs about resin, Caucho? A few, yeah. So... <clears throat> Frankly, resin did what, to some extent, what uh, maybe Quarkus is doing more successfully now. Mm -hmm. so, and that is what I, uh, originally when I joined resin, that was my objective. Uh, resin was uh, essentially a servlet container for a long mm -hmm. time, and then they wanted to become a, a full Java E container. Um, and my idea, my reason behind uh, joining resin was to essentially revisit the entire concept of a application server uh, and go away from something like uh, certainly uh, old school web logic and uh, web seer traditional mm -hmm. into something that is more lightweight and more modular. So I actually really like Glassfish. Ultimately, I wound up joining the Glassfish team. But Resin, if it was done properly, could have been really a very modular application server and very lightweight. And very fast, right? I think it was used by eBay back then or something. Or yes. A large company. Yeah, it was used by one of the, one, a few of the big uh, San Francisco Bay Area companies as their, as their main container, yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you wrote the EJB in Action book, was before or after Resin? Accenture wouldn't Before? before? That, yeah, before. Yeah. Primarily, I wrote that book uh, as an independent consultant. I, you know, as you know, as an independent consultant, you have a little bit of time on your hands and you have a little bit more control over what you can do. So. And the book was uh, sold well back then? It still is, surprisingly. Uh, I still, uh, when I get my uh, revenue statements, it still sells a few hundred a year, which is to me is very <laughs> mind-boggling. It's a crazy. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect. Yeah. And, and was your only book because I, or you wrote Only, it? yeah. But obviously, the reason I went away from books, um, nothing against books, like I know a lot of people write books. Uh, but in my view, I think at that point in time, my realization was uh, you can, if your primary objective is making money um, or creating a, like a, you know, an author brand, then writing a book is fine. But actually, blogging is a much more effective way of reaching an audience. Uh, so yeah. I switched from... Uh, writing a lot of, from writing books into writing articles primarily for DZone and TSS at the time, the server side. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I've wrote books usually if I was on the road. So, you know, uh, in trains, yeah. hotels, uh, this was, uh, this was, and, and blogs, I tried to write uh, shorter posts. So um, I'm mostly, you know, if I was in taxi, this was the time to write a blog post. 
And uh, and books was you know uh, in trains and and Java one conference you know flights and something like this, and for me it was I didn't thought about that. I said okay, it's that time just do something you know useful. So I wrote the book. So this was like there was no strategy behind, also no blocking. I just said okay, I learned something. I'm forced you know to think about the topic a little bit more, go deeper, and this is how how why I did it. So this was always my motivation a little bit, you know. To be forced to learn stuff, and or or you know to to uh, expose yourself to criticism. So this is sometimes what I do at conferences. You know, I talk about um, more aggressively about a topic and see what happens. And if, if no one says you know no, so okay, maybe there is something in it, right? So this was my ideas sure. to validate. You know, my my ideas with audience. Yeah, for me, uh, you know, I mean, this is about reaching. It's about having an impact, if you will, right? And uh, to be honest, writing yeah. books limits your audience a little bit mm-hmm. right? because somebody has to be interested in your book. They need to know about it. Yeah. They need to read. And it, is, it takes them, uh, you know, maybe a week or so to read your book versus uh, writing a blog entry. And these days, even maybe producing a video or uh, writing a tweet. Well, that takes a much shorter time for you to produce and shorter time for the person on the other end to consume. Okay. And it can be more easily consumed. So then we met Meg regularly at Java One mostly, and then you left yes. Resin, I think, right? So, so, so your trajectory was Accenture, writing a book, becoming freelancer. Then you, then you joined Resin. Then you, then you left Resin. Oracle. Uh, Coucher, sorry, Coucher Resin sure, was yeah. the product, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, Oracle, and then. More, and then you became nice. Oracle evangelist, right, for Java E, I think, and with Glassfish, with Arunupta, exactly, and. Uh, and who was this, the French guy, the nice one? Alexis. Alexis, yeah, but he left uh, shortly after the Oracle uh, acquisition. So ah, okay. So you were, you stick longer? And yeah, uh, it was me and Arun for some time. Exactly. And um, what I really, really um, saw that you are really, you know, straight line. What you did, you just did it. You know, you supported, for instance... Java and Jakarta the entire time, you know. You even ping me and say, "Hey, uh, Adam, wake up!" I say, "Okay, everything is fine." And you were always, you know, uh, uh, the how to call it, the guardian, right? You are the guardian, <laughs> guardian of uh, Jakarta, uh, Java, right? What was the name? Guardian. You initiated. Java guardian back then. Yes, uh, it was necessary. You know, without doing that work, uh, you know, I'm not saying that Jakarta is a success yet, um, but uh, definitely would have been dead in the water. Mm-hmm. Had we not that, done that work at that point in time, yes. Why you were so interested in Java and Jakarta? So, what was your motivation? Well, uh, or still is? Still is. You are still very active in the in the mailing list, and you are always, you know, spent a lot of time supporting the community. So, why you are still interested, or, and why you were interested and are still interested, right? I uh, actually has to do with uh, very deep. In my background, so uh, I, I deliver a talk about this. It's called a Freakonomic Take on Open Standards in Jakarta. This is, if you go down to it, right to the right to the kernel of it. This is the primary reason I support uh, Jakarta and, to a lesser extent, Microprofile. Uh, and that has to do with the observation that uh, if this becomes a single vendor-dominated ecosystem, mm-hmm. it will not be as competitive. Uh, one of the reasons Java is so successful is because many significant companies have a vested interest in making it successful. And that includes Red Hat, includes IBM, uh, includes Oracle, included Sun back then, Fiara, Tommy, and a lot of people. And so it's not just one company. Uh, the alternative, there's reasons why uh, it's either that or it's a single vendor-dominated ecosystem. Uh, problem with single vendor-dominated ecosystems are they're not going to be as effective because if there's no real vested core interest in advancing the technology by many parties, it simply won't be done. Uh, you know, so this is the fundamental reason why I continue to invest my time in uh, keeping Jakarta and Microprofile, let's say, viable. Um, because without it, at longer term, you know, the Java ecosystem will no, no longer remain competitive. That's interesting. This is maybe because of your economics background. Correct. Yeah, that's basically what the what the talk is about. That's why it's called free economic take on open standards in Jakarta. There's a recording of it. You can take a look at it. I'll, I'll explain. I explain in detail. You know what I just explained to you in a few sentences. This is interesting 
because I assumed something different. I thought, you know, you somehow really like Java or whatever, you know, or you you promise, you know, to, I don't know, to make it successful or something. And this is why you you are always, you know, on the straight path. Because my motivations were completely different. So I was a little bit egoistic. I said, okay, if we are standard, you know, I, I just learned the standard and don't have no, to chase all the vendors. So this was my motivation a bit. And uh, what what also happened, uh, so I didn't have to know to learn all the implementations. So the cool story is my clients didn't have either. So they were very portable and really appreciated the decision. This was an accidental decision. And this is why they're coming back and you know, asking for new projects because it, it remained compatible over the years. So I was actually lucky a little bit. And it worked well for me for completely different reasons. This, this was actually the interesting part. So you should uh, go and see my talk. Yeah. Um, because uh, what you just described is a byproduct of yeah. uh, what I talk about in, in the core part of my talk. Is a, what, you are, what you described is, a, is, a, is an imp- probably most important byproduct. So I'm the collateral damage of your idea, right? So you can you can put it this way. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah, uh, that that's interesting. So and um, now we're at the Microsoft, and and my observation is Microsoft reminds me a little bit of Sun Microsystems, strangely enough. Uh, so this yeah. how they behave from outside a bit, right? So with uh, Visual Studio Code, for instance, right? So this was like they contributed a lot, and now it's usable by the community. Of course, there is some interest, you know, but uh, but I mean, there was a marketing. I think was maybe the one major interest. But what happened was we everyone likes Visual Studio Code, I think, uh, and um, so I, I use it all the time. So uh, I use you no know, NetBeans a lot back then, and uh, because I also have to use JavaScript, I switched to Visual Studio Code, and I still use NetBeans from time to time. But because I'm lazy, I'm usually spend all my time with Visual Studio Code, Java, and and whatever, right? So, and um, also, you know, uh, lots of the Sun Microsystems experts or, or, or people are ended up to being at Microsoft, which is really funny because I think uh, I, I heard somewhere that uh, Microsoft is the company with most Java champions, right? <laughs> I don't know how much we want to comment on that. Uh, yeah, so uh, reality is maybe not. Uh, you know, I think if you look at a company like Red Hat, uh, they don't uh, oh, talk about it as much. Yeah. In reality, they probably do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there may be other companies that uh, mm-hmm. are, that that is equally true of. So mm-hmm. I don't know how true that is. Well, what I can tell you is, uh, uh, Java at Microsoft is definitely a serious endeavor, but we are at the early stages still. Yeah, yeah. At least you know a little bit of Minecraft. I mean, I know there is a not everything is Java in Minecraft right now. There's also C sharp Minecraft, how to call it, the Bedrock edition, right? But I mean. Still interesting, and uh, what's also um, happened a lot. I did um, a podcast with uh, Mr. Uh, F- James Falkner, I think James is the first name, uh, about you know uh, Azure App Service and uh, and JBoss, which uh, was also interesting. So um, Asia also invests a lot in the Jakarta E actually uh, uh, ecosystem, and um, the observation is it's also an observation. You no, know, you remember at Sun there was a Sun Grid cloud project in the early yes, days? Yes, I remember it back in the, like, a, <coughs> literally they put a bunch of Solaris machines on the back of a truck and uh, that, yeah. was the, like a, uh, that was a cloud in a box. Yeah, know. but it was uh, it was before the SunCloud. So it was uh, yeah. the, the, the first attempt, I think was around 2005. And the idea was that you create a zip and submit it somehow and, and then we extracted it and run. And back then, Java E was around. So I said, why, why they not you know just you know accept an ear or war if because uh then we would get serverless the first time right so because they could run the servers sure. i would submit you know the war in a year this is what i wanted the entire time i didn't want it to spend time as i said with you know strange vendors and you know playing with the with the configuration and and it was not at all that way but at the closest is asia app service something like this right or um or for instance the payara cloud it's also a similar similar solution so um, the strange enough is if you if you take the application service to the maximum, the idea you get serverless computing, because uh, it is very similar to Azure to Azure Function or uh, AWS Lambda. Uh, it, uh, the Lambda just you know contains the um, the business logic, Azure Function the same, and uh, and uh, the the entry point of application server would be a servlet, which is uh, I would say 
really similar to Azure, Azure Function or AWS Lambda, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in a sense, if, if you take a serverless as an abstract term, that's, a, yeah, I would say, something like JWoss API and App Service, you can describe it as being sort of serverless Java E edition, if you will. Yeah, if you hide the, the, the JBoss, right? So uh, if you hide it completely, don't mention JBoss and Azure App Service, and you say, okay, I just submit a war, and what war is, it's just a zip. You don't even you know have to specify the dependencies. It's just a pure business logic. I would say the only difference between Azure Function or AWS Lambda and, and a war is that you know all the classes re, um, are in web inf classes, and, and in the jar or in the AWS Lambda, it's just a zip. So uh, this is the only difference. So technically... Very similar, right? Of course, but as you know, in practicality, it's not as simple as that, right? So yeah. in practicality, you will get into some things like um, configuring your resources via the JBoss CLI. You know, ultimately, if you want to do something more advanced, like you know, configure security or configure clustering, ultimately, you will need to know. Yes, in fact, it is JBoss. But I agree. From a programming adult standpoint, yeah, it's more or less you know, it's a Java E jar file or mm -hmm. bar file or ear file, and yes, yeah, simply deploy it. Yeah. The, the only problem we get later would be, you know, with um, JDBC connection pooling, because um, mm -hmm. if I would go, you know, the JBoss route, the next question is, what about persistence? And maybe on Asia, I would choose Cosmos DB, let's say, and then, you know, not use the JPA, so just call, you know, Cosmos DB via HTTP, which will solve, you know, the the connection pooling problem, but uh, but this is a different discussion. But uh, you don't have to use everything from Java or Jakarta. You know, it really depends on the environment on the economics model, right? Yeah, you can use whatever you want. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I never really understood all the all the hoopla about uh, you know this and that. Um, to me, you know, computing is not that expensive. Uh, you know, if you look at from an economic standpoint, uh, you know, the most expensive thing that you have in a development shop is manpower. It's a vastly outweighs any infrastructure costs. Almost, almost. If you if you if you think about cloud, so um, I would say the what we really what cloud improves, or I would say what serverless computing improves is that we can have a development environment which is identical to production environment. This is huge benefit because you can scale to zero, but you can have still you know beefy machines. But if you use a real database, let's say, let's say uh, Postgres, for instance, the cloud, it uh, per environment, you will pay several hundred euros a month, and this yes, can. That is, uh, yeah, compare that to a price of a senior developer, right? A good one. Yeah, but but uh, but uh, I can tell you, uh, companies have problem with it. So if you have ten developers, they they won't they they won't never pay you know five k a month just to have an environment. Then we say can we can you can you cannot scale it a little bit down you know and then it's that's okay. Mm -hmm. If we change the development environment, it is no more production environment. And then we have a problem. But if you use Cosmos DB, let's say, you pay per invocation. But if you're developing, you know, uh, you you're not invoking the Cosmos DB. A lot, so it is very cheap. So this is what I mean. But it is still the real one. So th this is an interesting economic model. So you can have, you know, with uh, managed services, you can have, you know, um, I would say a very really good developer experience for almost no costs. And in production, it's case with the usage. So what can happen is that in production, the managed services become more expensive, you know, than than the um, than the uh, how to call it the always running exactly. services or, you know, the open source services. But uh, you are, um, I, I was told by an by a economic guy, not you, that's called marginal costs. So the cool story is we can go to manager and say, you know, if one invocation costs us $1 and you get revenue $2, no one cares. But if you have a database which runs all the time and no one knows what happens inside, then no one can explain, you know, why we run it at all. So this is this is the difference. I see. Some cost versus uh, uh, recurring cost. Yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I don't understand necessarily what I said, okay. but this is what managers, you know, care about. So uh, they, they tell me yeah. this and say, okay, you're right, so then do this. So Yeah, it's CapEx versus OpEx from a management standpoint. Yeah. Yes, I understand. Yeah. Yeah, you have to understand. You, you, this is your interest. You know, I'm just a developer. So, uh, uh, what are you doing these days at Microsoft? Um, these days, it's uh, primarily, frankly speaking, enabling all of the Jakarta vendors to be successful on Azure. That's really what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, based on our customer evidence, um, you know, I would love to say all of the Jakarta vendors are important, and they are. But to be honest, one uh, few are more important than the others. We have a lot of 
Uh, Azure is primarily used by a lot of large businesses, very large businesses, world's largest businesses, to be honest, if I may be, uh, if I may say so. So Fortune 1000, Fortune, uh, 1000, five, Fortune 500 companies, these kind of companies. Uh, a lot of these companies have a lot of old stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of old stuff means WebSphere, WebLogic, JBoss, EAP, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right? So we are working to, uh, we have been working in the past few years, Edward Burns and myself, <clears throat> to enable these runtimes to be successful on as many Azure destinations as possible. Mm-hmm. I think we are almost there. Right, so uh, if you look at the majority of the, like if you will, the app servers that our big large companies are most likely to use, we enable them in most of the Azure, Azure destinations. I think the most outer edge example is JBoss CAP on app service, right? So app service is basically our premium PaaS offering. You know, we support uh, Java SE there, we support Tomcat there, we support other things like PHP and so on, but we also support Java using JBoss CAP. So, that is the work we're doing. We are also doing <clears throat> some work to beginning to do some work to enable Quarkus. Um, I think you'll see that, and I don't want to give up give you too much detail right now. Maybe I come back and talk to you about this in yep. six months. Uh, but we're also doing some interesting work with uh, Quarkus and MicroProfile, aside from the work that we've already done to enable all the Jakarta E. Um, Jakarta E runtimes. In a nutshell, we are making uh, Jakarta E developers. We are making Azure as Jakarta developer friendly as possible. Okay. Um, we have Azure App Service. There's also Azure Container Apps. And uh, right. what are the possibilities excluding Kubernetes? Let's say we don't have, you know, AKS. So uh, on which services we could run, let's say, JBoss or Quarkus, doesn't matter, and, and Java app. So Azure App Service is one thing. Azure Container Apps, another one, right? And uh, to my understanding, they are similar, except, you know, the economics model is different, right? So in Azure App Service, you're paying uh, more or less monthly, and the other one is more serverless, right? Uh, yes. App Service is mostly oriented towards dedicated plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know you have to know ahead of time what type of capacity you need, more or less. Right? There is some, uh, you know, capacity for doing horizontal scaling, mm-hmm. automatic horizontal scaling and more dynamic building, but for the most part, it's more oriented towards a mm-hmm. dedicated hard, dedicated capacity. Uh, ACA, you are correct, it does scale to zero if you want it to, mm-hmm. literally. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing will be built to you, um, up to you know, horizontal scaling. It does come with some trade-offs. That's the primary difference in terms of billing for ACA versus app service. Uh, but also, uh, ACA is the lowest common denominator abstraction is Docker container, mm-hmm. or rather generically a container, mm-hmm. whereas the lowest common denominator for app service is literally a war or, or a year or a, or a jar. So that's another difference in the, in the programming model. Mm-hmm. But from billing-wise, yes, ACA is more towards sort of pay as you go, whereas app services, yes, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more traditional dedicated, dedicated billing model. And there's another nice service on Asia, which I like a lot, it's called ACI. Azure Container Instances. And this is really simple. The only problem is it doesn't support clustering out of the box. But for you know, for simple applications, it's a really interesting one because you know the configuration is that simple. And uh, at, I use it already, and it really works you know, great, and it's simple to configure, right? ACI, I would call it, right? OK, so uh, from a PM standpoint, I have to tell you we are positioning ACA as a replacement to ACI. OK. Uh, just so you are aware. So I use ACI a lot. ACA was in preview last year, I think. So it's really a fairly new yeah. one, right? And uh, Azure App Service, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Azure Service is very old. It's one of the oldest yeah. services we have. Um, ACI is not that old. It is, uh, I think, only about three years old. Yeah. But we are positioning ACA to essentially more of replace ACI. And that's basically it. You have ACI, uh, ACA, and Azure App Service, right? Well, we have AKS. Yeah. Uh, we also have ARO. We also have Functions. Yeah, functions. Okay, Azure. Oh, functions are interesting because in function you even have you know a Maven plugin where you can actually deploy from Maven Azure function, for instance, Quarkus as an Azure function. So it's also really interesting and yep. similar to ACA. But uh, the uh, what you will get, you can deploy Quarkus as a JaxRS, I would say, uh, service. But what happens behind the scenes, the Quarkus is in charge of converting the Azure HTTP event to 
uh, Jack Sorrell's invocation, right? So this is what what happens behind the scenes. Correct, exactly. It's a, a Azure Funky, a Quarkus Funky, to be more precise, is what you. And describe. not even Funky. So, so like Funky modern. is like you know the at Funky annotations. What you can use the proper Jack Sorrell. Correct. The Azure, uh, rather the Azure Functions plugin. Exactly. Uh, Azure Functions. Uh, the exactly. Asian faction plugin is I, I forgot the, the the Maven. What's the name of the Maven plugin is? But this is something like Asia app, and the plugin configures the entire thing. And um, exactly. So um, and you said something different. So Asia Asia container. We said you know Asia Asia container okay, functions. This is an Azure, Azure Kubernetes service. Yeah. Um, we also have ARO Azure Red Hat OpenShift. So that's a managed version. Azure Red Hat OpenShift. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's you know going. From increasing level of abstractions to uh, sorry, lower level of abstractions to increasing level of abstractions, there's you can always run things in virtual machines. Uh, then you can run it on Kubernetes, AKS, or you can run it on OpenShift via ARO. Then uh, higher level up would be you can use a you can uh, choose to use um, ACA as you described, and then app service, and then ultimately the lowest probably the highest level of abstraction is functions. There's actually several options along the way. Mm -hmm. And they're all used. They're all popular. And we're basically <clears throat> taking an N by M approach of mm -hmm. enabling each other runtimes in each of these destinations. And what I also like, uh, or oh, like if I try to do, to do something more serious with Asia, I really like, you know, the uh, BICEP language mm -hmm. because it's yeah. a real language and it comes with great Visual Studio code support. So for, you know, to, to provision the infrastructure, it works good enough and uh, what happens behind the scenes and translates you know the the um, state management to arm right invocations mm -hmm. is the arm templates yeah. and what's also cool the there is a java api for arm and mm -hmm. so you can provision the entire azure with java but this is how to call it imperative api so it's not like uh, if you use arm directly you how to call it it's not declarative you know you by yourself you have you know to 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 be in charge of of the state and with bicep is more declarative is more like terraform but uh, with it's a proper language which i really like so you have a yeah. for loops and yeah. if so i mean you can do <laughs> you can write code right so which i really appreciate so um, yeah mm -hmm. much better than terraform in my opinion but yeah i, I have to tell you also i don't understand you know why programmers pick Terraform because it is so chatty. It is, uh, there, there is no for loops. I, you have to get tricks, you know, to, to do something more meaningful. And, and I, I mean, it is, it is very, very complex. It reminds me actually XDocLet, you know, the early days, if we generated, you know, millions of lines of XML, you know, this is like Terraform. And, and, and people started to complain a little bit, but I uh, know for years, everyone seemed to be happy. I was, I, I never understood. It was like, why? And the same, I have to admit, why I never mentioned Kubernetes, you know, because I'm also not that, you know, happy with all the YAMLs. Also reminds me, you know, with the um, XDocLet and, and uh, uh, story back then. And, you know, the Azure App Service on ACA, I think even ACA uses Kubernetes behind the scenes, I think. ACA, uh, uh, no. No? no. There was, but um, there is something different. Is it not Asia... So there is one service which uh, uses Kubernetes behind the scenes, but it uh, you never see this. So it's to be HCA. I think you may be mentioning Azure Spring Apps, but they have also switched over to ACA now. I think this ACA right uses uh, Kubernetes. ASA, ASA, Azure Spring Apps. Oh no, they no, this is what I never used. Uh, uh, oh. I, I, um, because um, why I like you know this Azure Container Instances and Azure App Service because it is really simple to provision and. Um, what I um, what I also do a lot is AWS. For instance, I use uh, Fargate and the others. And people say, okay, but it's not portable. But if I take a look at the Fargate uh, JSON and Azure App Service or ACI JSON, I can I think port it in a day, right? So this is in, in both cases like you know thirty lines of of, of code for for a simple uh, container. And you will spend you know most of the time anyway with <coughs> identity networks and stuff like that, right? Sure, it depends on the customer. So a lot of customers, the reason they are using Kubernetes um, uh, is primarily because it is just one level up from using VMs. So if yeah. you're very used to managing your own infrastructure and you want only to use uh, containers instead of VMs, then AKS makes a lot of sense because yeah. direct one-to-one -one mapping of yeah. how you would do things in VMs only 
you know, you're using containers instead of using VMs. So this is the reason actually a lot of uh, uh, our customers use Kubernetes is because it's like sort of VM plus plus. You know, and that's what they come. I I thought today you don't have to answer, but but what what I thought today yeah. is actually that Kubernetes, if you think about this, is actually not cloud native because it tries to hide the entire cloud, and and you are running actually, as you said, as in VMs, right? You are not really not using a lot of of cloud services. You hope that you deploy everything to Kubernetes and create your own world, which is not that different to uh, on-premise data centers. It would be, uh, and uh, what would, if I go to the cloud? It's okay, cloud just you know how is a shared responsibility model, so you know do as as much as possible for me, and. Um, and uh, if there is a service which starts and stops my containers, I'm happy. And we need to know the liveness probe, readiness probe is available everywhere. You, we, we don't need to know Kubernetes for it. So this is what what uh, Azure App Service is doing, and this ACA Azure Container Apps, I think is the name is doing, and ACI did as well. And uh, yeah, this is why um, so Kubernetes is okay. I would say if I would invest in more in operators or whatever, sure, the uh, Kubernetes mm-hmm. way to go if you build in products. But um, from Java perspective. Java E perspective, I would say, is this, I mean, I don't care who starts and stops my containers. It should be simple and cheap, right? Sure. Uh, you know, like I say, um, uh, flip side of things, uh, the people that tend to use ACA, or customers that used to <clears throat> tend to prefer uh, app service or ACA, they're choosing it because they don't want that infrastructure level abstraction, right? So they don't need to be dealing with storage or uh, exactly. load balancers or volume mounts, uh, resource allocation per pod, and those kind of things, right? So they're more comfortable with a higher level of abstraction versus, uh, you know, the Kubernetes users that do want that level of control. Mm -hmm. So it's, as I said earlier, it's a matter of what level of abstraction are you? Mm -hmm. Okay. Are you happy with you know, the state of the, let's say, Jakarta? No, forget now Asian on microservice, because you also know the Jakarta E ambassador uh, and Guardian, of course. Are you happy with you know state of the union of Jakarta and MicroProfile? Not really. Um, I worry a lot. Uh, uh, you know, I think some of the things that we had hoped for uh, back in the Java E Guardians days that has happened. Right. So uh, the technology is no longer controlled by a single vendor. Uh, it's moved to really at the foundational structural level. It is moved to a vendor neutral space under the Exist Foundation. Uh, it is not possible to be a spec lead as an individual like yourself, right? You can, mm-hmm. one, if you wanted to be a spec lead, you can be a spec lead. Mm-hmm. That practically was not really possible under the JCP. So structurally, those things have all been good. Uh, we've also not lost many key stakeholders. That is also good. The bad part is, I think the net investment has been reduced. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the total investment level in Java E8 versus the total investment level in Jakarta, uh, Jakarta E10, I think it represents a smaller investment. Okay. So I'm concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in one sense, yes, it's a mature technology. It doesn't need as much investment. Uh, but I do worry, number one, whether the investment level is correct and also... <clears throat> I worry whether the community itself is as vibrant as, as it used to be. Mm-hmm. So as a thought experiment, think of ourselves in the Java E7 timeframe or even the Java E6 timeframe. Mm-hmm. If you were to name 15 people that are advocating Java E6 or Java E7, I think you would, it would be very easy mm-hmm. for you to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's as easy now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think, you know, where is the next generation of Adam? Yeah. Where is the next generation of Reza? I look around and I don't see it. Mm-hmm. So uh, those are those things really worry me. Uh, so I continue to talk about uh, advocating for Jakarta E, advocating even to lesser extent for MicroProfile, and advocating for things like the Jakarta E ambassadors because we, without that community dynamic that we also had, it's going to be very difficult. If nobody's advocating for this technology, no one is going to consume it either. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I don't want us to be the last of the Mohicans. You know, we need to expand our tribe at some point. Mm-hmm. But I think the same is true for Linux and Kubernetes and all the infrastructural, right? If you, I mean, Kubernetes also, if you, you know, 
take a look at KubeCon or whatever, the Kubernetes become almost you know, like a boring part. They are moving you know, to more exciting because it's almost done, I would say. No one is, no one is excited mm. anymore about Kubernetes, I would say. This is my perception, right? Mm. No? Yeah, perhaps. You know, I mean, I, I don't know, to be honest. I, I don't know. I mean, no, I, definitely I don't want to get into this territory, but to, to some extent, even if you look at uh, .NET, they have the same problem. Yeah. Um, a lot of the people advocating .NET are, you know, in their 40s and 50s. Where is the 20-year-old 20 year, 20 year advocate? Where is the 30-year-old advocate for .NET? I think we need to ask ourselves those same questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Uh, what this would mean is that um, no one cares about the infrastructure, maybe. And uh, what uh, also means is that uh, people start, you know, to patch more, right? Use a little Python there and something else there uh, until it blows up. So what I remember is uh, why Java E was so successful at the beginning, uh, run 2000 was, because the companies had serious trouble in, 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 in my projects uh, with memory management was C++, right? So they, they didn't manage you know, to, do, to do threading properly and, and back then it was really hard. So this is why they moved to Java. And some projects were already in Java, and they had, you know, a, a, a real problems with consistency. So I remember all the projects, I spent all the time, you know, talking about, I also remember you with the, uh, with the uh, resin back then, was all about managing transactions, two-phase commit, you no know, caching, there was a major problems with it. Because before that, everyone did, you know, strange things, you know, distributed CMPs or whatever, container managed persistence beans, which never worked. And I think the same can happen right now that, you know, they, um, it already actually happened. So um, two years ago, maybe two years ago, I performed a code review in a project with uh, lots of microservices. And no kidding, they used, I think they used Kotlin, TypeScript, Node.js, uh, Quarkus, then Java without Quarkus, and I think Spring in the same project. They had about 20 microservices and no one knew what's going on. And then I know asked the question, I mean, we could just use a know just a single language and they committed just to use Quarkus and they were happier. So they, they saw, you know, the, the, the um, I would say the added value of the entire action was, you know, to make everything less complex and more boring and focus on business. And I would say this can happen, happen again. But, uh, you know, you first you hit the wall. You have to hit the wall and see, you know, this is not what we had sp spent time on, you know, to fiddling with uh, all the boring stuff. And this is where Linux or Jakarta E or MicroProfit are appealing because uh, in a new project, either I use Java SE, this is the, the best, and if it's okay, this won't fly. Because, for instance, right now I'm... Uh, I have to to access some some APIs, so an HTTP API. So I'm thinking, should I use MicroProf or S client, or should I use JDK 11 uh, HTTP client? Right. So this is my uh, thinking, and uh, this was actually today. So I took a look, you know, at the interfaces. Okay, how many you no know, query params I have? Then I would go maybe with MicroProf or S client, so it's less code. Or if it's simpler, I will use MicroProf, uh, sorry, Java 11 client, which is a little bit more code but no dependencies, which is better. So, um, and this is the, you know, the, the question I ask myself constantly. So it's not like I'm, I'm really like to use Jakarta E, but if I wouldn't use Jakarta E, I would have to do more research, spend more time, you know, uh, fiddling with external dependencies, which I absolutely not interested in. So, so maybe, you know, the, the, the young people should recognize then, you know, okay, either we can, you know, ne never start researching. And before we start a project, we have, this is what we did at the beginning. I don't know whether you were a consulting, I, I would say at the beginning of Java, right? So um, in the first phase, we had to evaluate the IDEs all the time. So the second phase was IDE databases. So I spent lots of time, object-oriented databases, Echelon and uh, the XML databases, logging framework, collection frameworks was all about evaluation. Every project started with evaluation. No, uh, I still know, you know, the Rockwave collections and whatever. And then Swing was not there. So there were Swing replacement projects. And now, you know, everything is invented. So now it's time, you know, to focus on the, uh, on the, on the business. And we somehow forgot that uh, it's already solved problem, right? Yeah, 
This is maybe. That could be. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's the reason. Uh, I think the synopsis of what you described in, describing is yeah, it's a mature field, and hence it's no longer uh, you know that interesting. We don't have interesting problems to solve, and hence we don't have new people. Yeah, I hope it's not true. <laughs> it could. It's possible, you know. But I hope uh, you know we can find a way to reinvent some things. Um, Make it interesting because the problem is like uh, you know if there's no new people and no new energy, you and I are not going to live forever. Yeah, um, not going to be productive forever. So this dies with us then. Because uh, uh, but one of my attendees said you know the Java is the fountain of youth. You know, so this is maybe <laughs> <laughs> this... Okay. perfect. Um, so final anecdote maybe we we met at InfoShare conference, the nice one, and mm-hmm. um, we met at the food truck. And you ask me, you know, we will meet later in VIP something. And I say, I have absolutely no time, right? I have absolutely no time for your VIP stuff. I really have to prepare. And you were really nice, nicely told me, okay, I understand. Okay, then prepare. And five minutes later, we met, you know, in VIP room, a VIP lunch. But I had no idea that it was called VIP lunch. Because for me, I I attended lots of uh, info shares. I thought this is like a bar. Uh, and 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 I didn't knew that it was for speakers, but um, I I always worry, you know, like um, how it's called. What we got, you know, the the um, hand how, how, hand uh, tag or what was it? How how it's called properly? Uh, yeah, I think you're referring to the perhaps the wristband. Yeah, a wristband, ex- exactly. Yeah. And because I had the wristband, they let me in. Always, I, I never spend you know time to think that it was just for the speakers. And you asked me the last time, and then I recognize after you know ten years of of InfoShare that all the time I prepare my talks in in your VIP lounge. You know, yes, this yes. was <laughs> <laughs> this was funny, and I really felt bad because I told you, you know I have absolutely no time. And five minutes later we met, and you asked me, you said you had no time. So like, yeah, but I'm preparing right now. But um, yeah. I, I I didn't prepare actually because I spent time you know to chatting with you and the other speakers. This was uh this was the problem back then. But um, yeah, it still went well. So uh, the InfoShare was um, a nice conference, a big one, right? It's a very large conference. Uh, I'm really glad that they are having um, some kind of technical footprint. So I looked at the programs from previous years. I saw you you spoke there, but you were only one of the few people, mm-hmm. in fact. So by and large, the, the uh, conference was, lot, I would say, not programming related. It's technical, but not programming related. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm very happy I talked to the organizers later on and yeah, I encourage them to try to keep it even more technical because that is where we should be with Java developers right now, uh, you know, is these large conferences and we have so few of them anymore. You know, the Java conferences, I know if you, I don't know if you noticed, but they're getting smaller, smaller and smaller. You know, Dev, if you remember, Dev, uh, DevOps Belgium was a, used to be a huge. Yeah. Uh, Java One was huge, almost 11,000, 15,000 people in yeah. the heyday, right? Uh, and uh, these days, you know, Java conference equals okay if you're very lucky, maybe five thousand. But so, the DevOps yeah. Belgium is still huge, right? No, not as easy. Uh, remember, in the heyday of DevOps Belgium, when there was no other DevOpses, right? You remember that it was only DevOps Belgium, mm-hmm. uh, and then there was DevOps UK mm-hmm. and the DevOps France. And now I suspect what is happening is there's so many DevOpses, like this, all these mini DevOpses, they are cannibalizing their own, yeah, sure. own, yeah, yeah. own attendance. So they're not as big as any, yeah. anymore because people are going to their quote-unquote local DevOps instead of going to the, the big one, right? The one that is that attracts 10,000, 15,000 people. Mm-hmm. So even now DevOps is, yeah, in that, perhaps in that 5K neighborhood as opposed to the Java 1 size that you used to, you know, in fact, there's no job conferences that, that are more than 10K people at this point. This is true. This is true. But um, I think DevOps was still sold out immediately almost. Uh, this is Yes, right. I think a few hours. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. that's good. It's encouraging news. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Because still a Java conference, I think. They added a few things here and there, but still more or less still a Java conference. You remember the original name? The original name was Java Polis. Java Polis. That's right. And they were then sued by Sun, actually. Yeah. Very good, uh, Reza. I, I will invite you back to talk about Corcus on Asia. Okay. Yeah. Uh, perhaps in six months. Yeah. yeah no problem. So we do, you know, yeah. Christmas edition of Air Hacks. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Where people can find you 
and you know your work on Asia or the Asia services or Jakarta on Asia. So I will put you know all the links to the show notes as well. But maybe you know you are on Twitter, right? <clears throat> yes, best place uh, to be honest is this. Uh, so uh, just go to my website. Uh, I know it's uh, old fashioned uh, these days, but uh, you know just simply go to Reza Raman dot me. So I try to, uh, you know, it's a joke. Uh, you asked me to create a joke, so I, uh, tell a joke, so I will. Uh, so I try to uh, maintain uh, difference between church and state, right? So this is the church part. Right? Ah, this okay. Is pers- this is my personal uh, website. I do not. Uh, I try. To, I try not to put in any of my uh, personal, uh, any of my work stuff in here. So this is outside of the day job, right? This okay. is me. Uh, this is me in evenings and weekends, right? So if you want to find out about what I'm doing in the evenings and weekends, this is where you go. You go to my personal website. Okay. Now, if you want to find out what am I doing in my day job, well, that is not only me yet. That's many people, including Ed Burns. And you find out by going here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, the, it's the basically the official documentation homepage for Jakarta Ion Azure. So this lists all of the work that we're doing. What was the URI again? Was? Uh, let me see. So the URI for me is very simple. It's reza-raman at me. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So it's as simple as that. If you want to learn about Microsoft, it's a little bit more complicated, but not overly so. It's learn.microsoft.com slash Azure slash developer slash Java slash EE. Very good. Perfect. Thank you. So after all these years, I learned about your motivation. Why are you so? Why you so? Be, you know, after Jakarta E, and this is because of Freakonomics. Yep. You can uh, again. It's it's on it's on YouTube. You know, just type in uh, Freakonomic take on Jakarta E, and I'm sure it will uh, it will take you to the right place, and uh, you can check out the talk. I believe I delivered the talk even for the Jakarta Tech Talks, but I've delivered this talk multiple times. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube already. Okay, thank you. It was a nice conversation. Yeah, I know. Hopefully we didn't bore people to death with all the ancient uh, old people. No, this is about my podcast. My podcast is unique. People like, you know, the old stories. So this is why why I'm doing this, you know. All right. Thank you. All right. See you later, man.